Hi, Homecoming listeners. Uh, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Homecoming podcast. Homecoming is a platform that provides the space for Asians, Asian Americans, and mixed heritage Asians of all backgrounds to share their stories, experiences, and insights about a variety of different topics. Everything from international politics to intergenerational trauma to interracial solidarity. I'm your host, Angel Rena, and if you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to Homecoming wherever you listen to podcasts, follow us on social media at Homecoming Pod, and give us those five stars and leave us a review on iTunes so that others can more easily find Homecoming and you know when future episodes come out. In today's episode, I've got a really exciting guest, Arun Seigel. If you haven't heard of Arun, you're definitely missing out. He is the co-founder and CEO of Thunkable, a Y Combinator-backed startup that allows anyone to build their own mobile apps without any coding experience. And previously, he's held a variety of leading roles at tech companies, including Quizlet, where he built and launched the first version of the Quizlet Android app, Khan Academy, Aspiring Minds, and Google. He was also named to Forbes 30 Under 30 in consumer technology. And if that isn't cool enough, Arun also conducts orchestras, plays viola and murdungam, a South Indian classical drum, and also beatboxes in several San Francisco-based music groups. And finally, he got his bachelor's and master of engineering from MIT, and he actually graduated from the same high school as I did. And that's actually how I first met and got to know Arun. We both um, attended an Andover Asian alumni reunion over the summer, and it was like it was just very cool to hear about all of his work and accomplishments, and also similar experiences and activities that we shared during our times in high school. So I'm really excited to follow up with Arun today and also allow him to speak um, on this platform about Thunkable, the future of tech, his music, um, how he got started in all of these endeavors, and also important lessons that he'd want to pass on to all of you listening. So Arun, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I'm super excited to talk to you, looking forward to this episode and getting to know you better. And I know that you have so many different stories and experiences and lessons uh, that will be super important and crucial and just really exciting for the listeners to learn. So first things first, I know I sort of gave an introduction, a bio of you at the beginning of the episode, but I also want to give you the chance to introduce yourself in your own words, just in case I missed anything. Thanks so much for having me again. I'm, I'm so excited to be here and to, to talk to everyone who's listening uh, I think you really covered it. Uh, as you said, my name is Arun Seigel. I am the co-founder and CEO of Thunkable, which is a no-code tool that allows anyone to build mobile apps. So if you're a designer, product manager, entrepreneur, person with a passion and don't know how to code, Thunkable is the tool that allows you to build your own iOS, Android, and, and web app. And uh, as you mentioned, I grew up in the Boston area, I went to Andover Phillips Academy and Andover High School, MIT for undergrad and for my master's. And then I've been working in tech in San Francisco ever since. And, uh, and I'm so excited to chat more today and also share about the other part of me, which you alluded to, the musical side, which in addition to, uh, to the, the tech work that I do, I've been uh, conducting the San Francisco Civic Symphony since 2015 uh, and play in a number of different music groups throughout the Bay Area and have performed 
uh, all the things that you listed uh, pretty uh, pretty globally. And so very excited to talk about uh, that side as well. Amazing. Yeah, I know that, you know, the music side is a very big part of your identity. And I remember that being like one of the really impressive and prominent uh, things that I remember from talking to you this past summer. And I was just super impressed with how you were like such a big person in the tech world, but also like had enough time and energy to reserve to music. And we'll definitely get into that later on in the episode. But um, I want to start off by going back to your childhood and your upbringing and how your interest in tech, entrepreneurship, and music began. So how do you feel like your parents, uh, your South Asian identity, and your upbringing in Boston, greater Boston area, uh, influenced your creative side, but also your tech and entrepreneurship uh, entrepreneurship side as well? Absolutely. I, I think everything I am today and where I've come from really is rooted in that upbringing. I think to, uh, you know, to begin with, it's really, you know, my parents and my sister who have, uh, who have pushed me to be the person that I am today. And, you know, to start with uh, the question of how that influenced me, my parents are both engineers by training. Uh, both of them have engineering backgrounds. Uh, actually, my father is a mechanical engineering professor and my mom is a computer scientist, but both of them also had a lot of passions outside of of their day job, if you will. And my mom's also an Indian classical dance teacher. Uh, she's also a, a Hindu priest. Uh, she runs the largest education nonprofit in South Asia, Ikal Vidalia, which brings education to uh, 100 million uh, people throughout uh, throughout the subcontinent. And you know, my parents also founded Lokvani, which is an Indian. Uh, or South Asian e-magazine in the Boston area. And so I list all these things because, as you can see, while they both had you know full-time day jobs, my dad's actually a mechanical engineering professor, uh, they, they both have had so much passion for many other things, creative, uh, entrepreneurship, technology, et cetera, that have all uh, led to them being who they are and I think certainly influenced myself in growing up where I saw that, hey, it's not just that you have to have one path you have to have one job that that is you know nine to five. You should always be following your passions, and hopefully those passions also are, are able to pay you and make a living. But you should be able to follow your passions and do them all. And if and if you see one thing that you're excited about, and and are really willing to spend a lot of time in it and sink your teeth in it, then do it. And if there's two things you're passionate about, then that's great. Do that too. And so I think that was really important growing up. I think also being South Asian naturally there's a there is an inclination or at least, you know, so society pushes you towards uh, math and science and technology. And I think I was no exception. That was something that, you know, was big growing up is is doing math, doing uh, doing science and 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 uh, and, and uh, an interest in technology. But it was also something I think that I was really passionate about when I was young. Uh, my parents always laugh at the story when I think I was six. We had a VCR player and I wanted to know how it worked. And so I was like, OK. Well, is it just that you can put anything that's the appropriate shape into the VCR slot? So I made a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and stuck it into the VCR slot to see if something would play on TV. The answer was no. So at that point, I learned that it's not just the shape. There's something else that contributes to it. Uh, in addition to having to get a new VCR, it also was was a good lesson of how how things how things work. And I think uh, you know I, I have to give you know big shout outs to my parents for uh, always encouraging me to to try out 
different things and, and ideas like that. And we didn't have infinite VCRs at home, but if there was an opportunity to, to test something out, tinker with something and see if it worked, sometimes it wouldn't, but sometimes it would lead to, uh, to, to really cool outcomes or me taking something and building something new from, uh, from a piece of technology. And I think, you know, that, that, that environment that always fostered, um, this kind of creativity and thinking of something new and coming up with something new. I think, especially with my mother being a dancer, there was always this idea of create something new, choreograph something new, et cetera. And so that was, that was really important. And, and I think, uh, being in the, being in the Boston area and in the South Asian community was so great because I think Boston has such a great South Asian community that really encourages, um, collaboration, encourages you to work with people, uh, of all different walks of life. I think what was really cool about the South Asian community in Boston is that if you were South Asian, you were in, it didn't matter what kind of money you had, what town you lived in, whatever, uh, people were just excited to work and share with people who were of, uh, you know, a similar background, which meant that I had friends who were involved in certain sports that I never did, but just because they played tennis as kids, they would teach me and I'm terrible at tennis and don't like tennis and didn't play tennis. But I had that opportunity because there were so many South Asian kids who did that. Uh, there were a lot of South Asian kids who did uh, played violin and viola and piano and things like that. And that, you know, allowed me to my parents to discover Suzuki and classical music and get me pulled into that. Um, there were many folks who were in programming and math competitions, things like that, which allowed uh, my folks who didn't necessarily uh, know about how all that worked to kind of let me jump in and get involved there. And so I think uh, having that really, you know, strong South Asian and, and more broadly Asian community in the greater Boston area was really incredible. And then I think in the last, you know, 10, 15 years, uh, the the number of entrepreneurs, uh, specifically of South Asian descent, has really exploded, uh, you know, nationally and globally and, and especially in the Boston area. And so having that base of of folks who I I was able to call on and say, hey, you've started this amazing billion dollar company. I'm, you know, one person, me and my co-founder are two people. Can you give us some advice, some help, et cetera? And just the openness and willingness of people to say, hey, sure, let's hop on a 30 minute call where I can tell you how to do basic things like incorporate your company or more nuanced things like how do you close your first big sale or even more difficult things like how do you hire really great talent? I think I've been really lucky that there have always been folks in my life who have been willing to support me on whatever journey I embark upon. Uh, and that's something till date uh, that's been so valuable. And even I alluded to uh, my last point, I alluded to my sister. Uh, she also uh, went to MIT with me, is also an entrepreneur and based in the Boston area. And she runs a company that makes uh, sustainable diapers called uh, Kudos. and. And the fact that I had her to rely on to give me advice on fundraising and advice on how to hire and on starting companies and stuff has been has been so uh, so valuable uh, throughout my childhood and even to date. Wow, that's really great that you had you know that sort of supportive family environment, those like family role models, and also like. Boston is just such a vibrant city and a vibrant area in terms, especially in terms of like the music and the creativeness that's sort of happening in the area. Um, I know I also did music back at Andover and I remember like that 
you know, I used to go to Boston to like watch concerts and stuff like that, do auditions. So yeah, I think Boston's also a really great place to, um, you know, pursue and be supported uh, in your music endeavors. And actually, let's we can also talk about um, your time at Andover too. Um, so you know, you sort of remained in the area for high school. Um, I know for me, like Andover was definitely is definitely a very big part of my life. And I feel like I learned so much about myself and just like a a lot about self-growth, you know, um, during my time there. So what would you say are some key or memorable experiences from your time um, at Andover during high school in fostering your interests in tech, entrepreneurship, uh, music, but also even just like developing your your own identity and uh, just growing as a person? Totally. I think Andover was one of those incredibly formative experiences. And, and for me, I think, you know, for from age 14 to 18 is kind of where you're growing up and figuring out who you are. And to be at a place like Andover was, was so incredible. As you pointed out, I did stay close to home, but I was still far enough away from home that I, that I had to board and, and, and live amongst everyone else. And so when you're 14 and living amongst all of your your peers and and learning from them and growing with them, it's such an incredible opportunity and something that I, I feel so blessed to have done. Uh, I think Andover was um, really good for so many different 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 aspects, and and, and, and you alluded to a number of them in uh, in your question. So I'll, I'll answer a few branches. I think in terms of my passion for science and engineering and technology, I think. Andover was particularly important for that. Uh, I went to Andover not, you know, not knowing what I quote unquote wanted to be when I grew up or whatever. At that time, I was 14 years old and, and I started exploring different, different paths. And what was so cool about Andover is that you could do many things really intensely, really at a high level. It was an opportunity that most people don't get uh, until college, if even in college, they get such an opportunity. So in, in science and engineering, for example, I was really excited about uh, chemistry when I when I first took it, uh, my, my first year at Andover. And so I wanted to do more chemistry research. So I took, you know, the advanced chemistry courses, and then I started doing research in, in labs. And what was so cool is Andover actually had full chemistry and biology labs that I could do college graduate level research uh, as a high schooler. And so by my, by 11th grade, I started spending a huge amount of time actually in the lab doing research uh, and eventually got to tie up with the, with the professor at a university nearby and also uh, do research with him. So Krishna Kumar, who is a professor at Tufts in chemistry, I got to start working with him. And because Andover had that proximity to so many different universities, as well as world-class facilities right on campus, I was able to start doing really intense uh, chemistry and biology research at Andover which then led me to write a number of papers and actually present and win uh, the gold medal representing the United States, along with a handful of other Andover folks. Uh, We went to uh, Poland and represented the United States in the International Conference of Young Scientists and won the gold medal there. And that was such a cool opportunity. And Andover was actually able to support the research, give us the faculty to go with us to Poland encourage us to actually do uh, all of the work, even give us the funding to actually make sure we were able to get to Poland. That was something that was so incredible and something that that really only a place as unique 
uh, as Andover could do. And that's something that I, I'm so lucky to have seen. Uh, and then after, after chemistry, I started learning programming again because Andover actually had computer science classes, AP computer science, which, you know, in today's day and age is, is commonplace. I think everyone, you know, there are many, many call, uh, high schools now offer some sort of computer science or computer programming. When I was at Andover, there was really only one faculty member actually teaching um, computer science at all. Now I think there are five or, or even more. And so at the time, it was still a pretty niche thing. Uh, mind you, when I entered Andover, there, there was no iPhone, there was no Android, right? So it was, it was, uh, it was, it was a bit of a different time. And, and when I left Andover, and iPhone and Android both existed. And so they, they were coming out and growing just, just as I was in high school. And so um, having the ability to actually take computer science classes, both beginning level as well as advanced level and do the national uh, competitions, et cetera, was so uh, so important and so formative. So by the time I went to MIT, I actually already had really explored a number of different areas and was able to go in with a lot more clarity. I think uh, in parallel to that, there was a, a tremendous amount of musical opportunity at Andover. Uh, one of the cool things about Andover was we had an, uh, a student-run orchestra, an orchestra called Unaccompanied Minors, where it was fully student-run and directed, which meant that the students decided what music we were playing. Often we arranged the music, we conducted it, we put on our own shows. And it was both at Andover as well as uh, around uh, the greater Boston area. And so uh, as we've talked about it, I conduct a symphony, but especially in the US, it's very hard to get conducting experience. There is no real undergraduate program in conducting in the US. And so if you're not going to the World Conservatory in the Netherlands or somewhere in Russia, it's hard to actually get uh, conducting experience, particularly when you're young. Uh, and I was very fortunate to have gone to the New England Conservatory Prep School, uh, which myself and a number of friends from Andover went to. And actually, I was able to hitch a ride with a couple of the, the students who were day students, who were commuter students, and actually get myself there. Um, and, and the New England Conservatory program, along with Andover's musical programs, were really strong. And then the fact that I actually had my own orchestra that I was able to conduct uh, by my senior year, I became conductor of the Unaccompanied Minors Orchestra. That gave me experience that without that, I probably wouldn't be conducting today because in the conducting world, you need experience to, to get more experience. And so the fact that in high school itself, I had a full symphony that I was able to conduct with strings and winds, etc. That meant by the time I went to college, when people needed someone to step in to conduct, I actually had experience. And then when I moved on, and we'll probably talk about this a little later, when I moved to San Francisco and actually started working with the SF Civic Symphony, all of a sudden when they needed someone to step in as a conductor, who were they going to find with experience? Luckily, I was already someone who had experience. And this was thanks to my days at Andover. And as a result, it, it gave me the opportunity to start conducting with the San Francisco Civic Symphony. Like I said, now it's been, you know, since 2015, we're on, uh, my, my, I guess, seventh, seventh season with them. Uh, and this is all thanks to uh, the, the time and the music teachers that I had at Andover and the opportunities that I had there. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Andover is a, you know, a pretty incredible place. Definitely provides you with so many opportunities that like one would just normally not have at all. Um, but yeah, I think we can sort of transition to talking about your time at MIT as well, because I know you were involved in 
a ton of different projects and endeavors there as well. And, um, you know, you can definitely talk about this, but I know you worked on like Scratch while you were at MIT. And it's so crazy because I literally remember in elementary and middle school, just like having like taking the Scratch CD at, like back home from school to try to learn um, how to like use it and, and code and stuff like that. So yeah, what kind of different projects, um, activities, internships were like the most formative during your time at MIT? I think one of the cool things about Andover and MIT both was that you weren't bucketed into being a certain person. So you didn't have to, if you were a musician, you didn't just have to be a musician. If you were an athlete, you didn't just have to be an athlete. If you were an engineer, you didn't just have to be that. You could be kind of everything. So at Andover, I did varsity sports and I did music and I did science and technology. And I think MIT was no different. Um, where I went to MIT, and as you mentioned early on, I was really excited about. So when I was when I was very young, I said I wanted to be a teacher because I thought teachers were the most impactful people to me. Whether it was my parents, my teachers in school, my teachers in extracurriculars that I did, they they were able to impact so many more people than if they were to do whatever they were teaching themselves, right? As as themselves, they were one person, but by teaching 25, 50, 100, 1,000 people to do the skill that they had, all of a sudden they were multiplying their impact. So for me, the question was, how do I find a profession or something that allows me to multiply my impact? And, uh, and early on, the answer to me was teaching, but as I was going through high school and entered college, I realized software was growing and becoming more and more of a thing. And and it was very clear to me that actually software was the, the best way to scale my impact because all of a sudden I could do something that then could be put online, that could then be put on a CD and everyone could use it. And so rather than for me solving you know one specific problem, if I could build tools to help people solve their own problems, that would allow me to scale my impact ever, even more, which is what led to Thunkable, but which led me first at MIT to start working on Scratch, where my uh, my advisor had this idea and, and had started Scratch before I entered MIT, but I, I got to be pretty early on where, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we could teach anyone to, to be, be an engineer, anyone to be a coder? Because at the end of the day, uh, it was very clear and, and is even more clear you know, now, 10, 12, 15 years later, that, that software is enabling and empowering everything. Whatever, uh, whatever is happening these days, whatever business exists, you know, I'll make a gross over, uh, over, you know, broad statement and say everything is a software company, right? Whether you are a food company, whether you are a hardware company, whether you are into music, you are a software company. And it's not that that's the only thing you do, but software is either the main thing you do or it enables what you do. And for example, in music, what, you know, what you do in music is, is you, is you create music. That's not software, but how do you distribute your music? How do you share your music, et cetera? That's all through software, right? So no matter what industry you're in, either you are a software person or you're enabled by software. And so in my mind, I thought, wouldn't it be super cool if we could allow anyone to build their own software? And so I saw the scratch project was, had just kind of been in its early, early days. And so I, I messaged the professor, you know, cold and said, Hey, I'm a new new freshman at MIT, and I think you're building the future. Can I come join you? And uh, he, he was super kind and, and still somebody I keep in close touch with. And he said, absolutely, you know, why don't you come on the team, see what you can do. And, and it was really fun because as, as we talked about, mobile devices had just been coming about, smartphones. And so I was really passionate about how can we think about Scratch for smartphones? And that was actually um, what led me to start 
working on Scratch for mobile, which uh, didn't necessarily turn into a huge thing at the time because of various restrictions uh, that the app stores and things like that had. But that led me then to say, hey, what if we actually just built something like Scratch, this drag and drop tool for mobile apps? And, uh, and there was another professor at MIT, this gentleman by the name of Hal Abelson, who had been working, uh, or who had just been tinkering with that idea. And so I messaged him and said, hey, can I come work with you? And he was very you know, generous to take me on as, as a sophomore at this point. And I ended up being the first person at MIT after Hal to work on a product called MIT App Inventor, uh, which was this drag and drop tool to teach people to build mobile apps at the time, Android only apps. It grew from being a small project to actually being this massive project with, at the time, uh, when I when I stopped working on it, it, it had, I think, 5 million users who had been 20, built 20 million apps in every country in the world. And so we had gone from being a cool research project to actually collaborating with Google uh, between our lab at MIT and, and, uh, and a lab at Google to building the largest, uh, largest mobile app builder for non-developers in the world. And so that was such a key experience, which, which I worked on during my undergrad and then my master's as well at MIT. Uh, and that was so important um, and, and really was the precursor to, to what um, became, became Thunkable. Um, in addition, uh, I also did a number of internships. I worked with a bunch of companies. Uh, and, and as we talked about, education and then using software to enhance education really led me to say, okay, how can I work on that? And while I was in college, Khan Academy had been formed, Coursera had been formed, uh, U, uh, Udacity, edX. And so actually I had a front row seat to watching edX being formed because it was a number of my professors and advisors who were actually creating edX as I was at MIT. So I got to see that, you know, firsthanded. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, I got very fortunate to be connected with Sal Khan and, and he had just kind of started off Khan Academy. It was a bunch of people in one room in Mountain View. And I said, hey, can I come work there? And so I was very fortunate to get an internship opportunity where I got to go work at Khan Academy and actually build out a bunch of the math exercises uh, as well as a number of different things. So there was a bunch of math videos, but then how did you actually practice and study math? And I got to work on uh, creating that. And it was just a tiny organization at that time, but you could tell that the, the future was was taking education and moving it online. And so I wanted to be a part of that. And I was very lucky to do that. And then, uh, as you mentioned, which I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about in a moment, after MIT, you know, went to Quizlet uh, and, and, and continued that trend of, of working in online education. Um, and those were kind of, you know, a few of the experiences between uh, working in education at Khan Academy, working in research and education at, at Google. That was another internship I did, um, as well as my time uh, doing the research that I did at MIT. And just to continue tying it in with, with the with the other bits, I also wasn't super involved. I was super involved in student government. I was also very involved in music and actually uh, started and ran the South Asian acapella group at MIT called the MIT Ohms, which is, you know, thriving today and actually much better than it ever was when I was there. Uh, and they've gone on to win national competitions and things like that. And that was something that, that I always, you know, kept doing. So writing music, creating music, making music, beatboxing, singing, etc. cetera. Uh, I think, you know, now that I'm, I'm talking about acapella, one of the cool things about, you know, college, especially in these days, is that everyone has an acapella group and it's so easy to get involved in music. Uh, one of the fun things about being at Andover is you just had incredible musicians 
uh, who supported you. And and one of the reasons actually that that I started beatboxing was because a friend of mine from Andover, Kevin Alusala, used to beatbox with me, and he's now you know the multi Grammy award winning pentatonics artist. But at that time, he was just another boarder who was in the symphony at Andover with me. And I think that's that's one of the you know the cool things that's that's happened of of the many musicians that I've had the good fortune of working with. Um, that's you know one of those cool things that that when you go to a place like Andover, uh, you get to you get to have. And then at MIT, because MIT was in Boston, you got to access Berkeley College of Music, New England Conservatory, Harvard and their music programs, et cetera. So having access to all of these, um, all of these incredible schools for their science and engineering and technology capabilities, but also for their music capabilities and being able to work with faculty from the New England Conservatory while working with faculty from MIT. It was such a cool experience and something that I think is really unique to the Boston uh, university ecosystem that that I haven't seen anywhere else, but really allowed me to kind of explore many different interests at the same time. Wow. First of all, I have, I have so many like responses, but I didn't know I didn't know that you and Kevin sort of overlapped. But that's so cool that you, you know, had like a year or two with him and were able to like learn from him and be inspired from from him. Um, and also it's just really cool to hear about, you know, how you were, you sort of had a hand in, in all of these different companies as they were starting off, all of these like huge um, educational organizations and companies that are so big and, um, you know, like companies that so many people use and are like super inspired by. So that's, really amazing. And I think we can sort of transition into talking about Thunkable, actually, um, because I know, you know, that's sort of your main project that you're working on right now. Um, you've been running it for a few years. And um, yeah, I actually, you know, got into Thunkable, used the website a few weeks ago. And it's really cool it, it, for someone like me who just doesn't know how to code, uh, isn't super tech savvy. So um, yeah, for you know people who haven't heard about Thunkable, don't know what it is, um, would you be able to describe what Thunkable is in your own words? And how does it, how does it work? What is it all about? Absolutely. Thunkable is a no-code tool that allows anyone to build mobile apps. So if you have an idea, you can build a mobile app with us. And 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 this is so important because as we talked about before, I think, you know, software is everywhere and every business is either enabled by software or is a software business in, you know, in my, you know, gross over exaggeration. And what's important then is that people should actually be able to build solutions to the problems that they have. And I think something that we saw in the early days uh, of Thunkable, and the reason actually we started it was because there were so many things that existed in the world that were issues that can be solved with mobile apps that weren't being solved because the people who had the skills to solve these problems did not actually uh, know about these problems or care to work on them, right? And so for a long time, the way software has been built is either someone, you know, one of these very few people who have software engineering skills are excited by this idea and are willing to work on it, or someone pays them a bunch of money to go work on this problem. So you have these, these inconsistencies, like while 10 different food delivery apps existed in Silicon Valley, there was no app to help people in Yemen who were in the middle of a civil war 
who didn't have the ability to control their energy and their power source. And so you're like, wait, there's a whole country that had like an energy issue that was like basically lacking electricity. And then there's so many food delivery apps. Why the discrepancy? It's because the people who had this problem in Yemen didn't necessarily have the knowledge or the skills to solve their problem, even though they knew exactly what the issue was. Until a company like Thunkable came about when this guy Anwar, who didn't know how to code and was based in Yemen, decided that, hey, we, you know, we have this issue uh, where uh, because of the civil war that started in late 2014 and, you know, and, and is kind of still continuing, uh, the power sources were being taken out. Opposition was taking out uh, power sources because, you know, that's a, that's a way to cripple your opponent. So there was a big push to solar power, which actually worked out. They, they, they installed a lot of solar panels and people actually had solar power, but no one knew how to manage their solar power. How do I tilt my panels during the day as the sun moves? How much energy do I have? Will I make it through the night? So on and so forth. So this guy, Anwar, didn't know how to code, doesn't have a software degree, um, found Thunkable, decided to build an app for him and his family, put uh, the app on the app stores, put it on the Play Store, and you know started using it. It helped him, helped his family. A couple years later, he had over half a million families and businesses using his app. The Minister of Energy gave him an award for helping solve Yemen's energy crisis, or at least alleviate um, the the pressure on it. Uh, and he's turned it into a thriving business. And and this is just one example of many many stories I can give you. But what's so what what I think this really demonstrates is why this is needed. Because without this tool, Anwar wouldn't have been able to uh, solve this problem for himself. And his whole country. And someone in Silicon Valley may not have invested in it because either they didn't know about the problem or they didn't think that you know this was exciting to them. They didn't have a personal connection to it. They didn't know how to test it. But by being on the ground as Anwar was, he was actually able to solve this issue. And this is just one of the literally millions of apps that have been built on Thunkable that have enabled people to solve their own problems, big or small. You know, take um, small business owners in the US now. There's uh, since the pandemic has begun, they've they've had whole series of challenges, right? There have been a number of folks who have said. Uh, so one example I'll give you is there's a gentleman who uh, runs a retail small 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 business, and when the pandemic hit, he had to shut down his business. Um, uh, not not uh, not not for good, but he had to close his store because, of course, no one was allowed uh, into the stores. Soon into the pandemic, a few weeks in, he was allowed to reopen, but he had very strict rules. He could only open at 25% capacity. He had to track how many people were in the store at all times, blah, blah, blah. There was no um, apps that allowed him to do this. And every day he didn't have a means to actually do this was the day he couldn't open his store. So what did he do? He built an app on Thunkable to help him track foot traffic in the store, track what was cleaned and what needed to be cleaned, etc. He made this app called Customer Counter, used it for himself and you know three or so employees at uh, at his small store, and that allowed him to reopen his business safely. Right? It was a problem that he had. He built a solution that was custom to his need and allowed him to rather than for wait for someone to put some app on the app store that wouldn't really work for him or pay someone, you know, a hundred grand to go build an app that was fairly robust. He was able to do this by himself in a few days and reopen his business successfully. Yeah, I think one of the really great things about Thunkable is really just how accessible it is, right? In a, you know, our, our world is becoming more and more like 
tech savvy, but also I think there are a lot of people out there like me, unfortunately, who aren't super tech savvy, don't really know how to code. But I think it's really great how accessible, uh, you know, your platform is, uh, you know, people like you mentioned out of the U.S., within the U.S. using it, people of all age groups, um, you know, all different backgrounds who are able to use this platform to build their own apps. Um, would you be able to maybe briefly talk about the process of coming up with the idea, putting everything into action, applying to a Y Combinator, you know, marketing, improving the app, uh, just, you know, briefly describe the entire journey of how uh, Thunkable sort of got to where it is today. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's a crazy journey. And I think anyone you know who started a startup, it's it's always, you know, long and winding and a series of fortunate happenings, et cetera. Um, but for me, the, the story, you know, starts... I guess at MIT on MIT App Inventor, as I was telling you about, and that was such a great, great, uh, great product, and and it really was helping people. But it was always a research project, right? We were we were in a university, and it wasn't necessarily its own company that was generating revenue, and you know, constantly focusing on, you know, the most um, the most pressing business needs because it was also a research project. So we were focusing on uh, research needs as well. Uh, after MIT, I went to uh, Quizlet and joined the team early there uh, and built uh, uh, built the mobile you know a lot of the mobile apps and mobile teams. So building out the first Android app at Quizlet, um, being you know very early involved with the first iOS app at Quizlet, making uh, actually you know launching the apps, taking them from zero to to five million downloads and even more past that. And I think one thing that I saw during my time uh, in you know in the real world, if you will, uh, while I was working was realizing that it's really hard to build mobile apps if you're not a mobile engineer. And even for the web engineers, they were struggling to build mobile apps, much less the product managers, the designers, the customer support folks, people who didn't know how to code, really had no idea how to build mobile apps and what the challenges were, et cetera. But what they did have was an idea, was a vision. The user researchers were talking to our users and knew what they want to change. The designers were able to design something really beautiful in, in a design software and then couldn't translate it. And so everything had to go through the mobile developer. Similarly, I had friends, I had family, people saying, oh, can you build this app for me? Can you do this thing for me? And it wasn't that the ideas necessarily were really complicated, but they didn't have the skills to code uh, these apps up. And and I only had so many hours in a day. And so the question that I started asking was, why can't they do it? They should be able to do it. And if you had looked on the web, there was a series of tools that had come out in the last 10 you know, plus years at that time, things like WordPress that all of a sudden said, hey, people can actually build their own websites. And so we said, what if we did this for mobile, but made it even easier, even more intuitive, just made it all drag and drop. You can just place things on the screen, uh, and then make a Scratch-like programming tool because we know that even kids can can use Scratch. So if we can make it really easy for anyone to program the logic, then anyone should be able to build their own app. That'll allow them to solve their own problems and that'll allow them to not wait for a mobile developer that they can either get access to or that they can afford, but instead they can take charge of it. And what's what's the best about that is that means they can build exactly what they want because nothing will get lost in translation between them and the software developer, they will be the software developer. So then the question was, okay, well, how do we go about doing this? So our, our research project at MIT had grown beyond our wildest imagination. It was millions of people building tens of millions of apps all over the world. And we said, okay, let's talk to the users. What are the things that they want? 
and they wanted things like an iOS version of the product, better design, some more business capabilities. And we said, okay, these are things that we can do. So once we listened to our users, we put together what we would need to do to make what we believed would be a successful business. And then we basically you know, wrote it all out saying, this is what we're trying to do. This is how we think we're going to make money, et cetera, et cetera. And at that point we said, well, what's the best way to get started? And I had uh, many friends who had done Y Combinator, uh, which at the time was you know fairly well known, but certainly not as ubiquitous as it is today. Um, and I had a number of friends who had done it and they said, hey, Arun, you know, Y Combinator was the best thing for us because it's not going to build your product. It's not going to get you users, but they will help you think about your business, your sales, your marketing, your legal, your financials, your accounting. And I said, you know, myself and my co-founder, Wei, uh, who also went to MIT with me, we're both engineers by training. We both know how to build stuff. But we've never built businesses out, out, out. We've never grown marketing teams and sales organizations. So how do we go about doing that? And so we decided to apply to Y Combinator. And we were very fortunate to get in and have uh, an incredible set of mentors there who were able to help us take our idea from being, you know, basically an idea and a cool product to really being a business. And I think that was that was you know one of the the most important things in the early days of Thunkable was having Y Combinator to push us and think about hey, what is your marketing strategy? What is your revenue model, et cetera? And also realizing that marketing today isn't what it's going to be in a few years. Uh, and so to your question on how do we end up doing a lot of that in the early days, you know, for example, marketing was just me sending personal emails to people who I thought would be good Thunkable users, people who I had seen their apps in the wild, people who had, you know, something that I thought would be really great to make on Thunkable. And I just started sending emails. Literally, it was thousands of emails that I sent that were, hey, I'm Arun. I founded this thing, Thunkable, with Way. Uh, it's really cool. I think your app could use it. Check it out. Uh, and that was the early days of it. And, and it's grown. Obviously, now we have a marketing team. We have folks who do sales, et cetera. But in the early days, it was mostly me and my co-founder just um, you know, kind of guessing and figuring out, sending emails, making phone calls, asking friends who they knew, posting on Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter and things like that. Uh, and we still do a lot of that today, writing a lot of content, blog posts, um, et cetera. And I think probably the biggest thing we did was early on, we built a community forum. So we could post things to our community forum, but our users could also post and share with each other. Because I think one of the most important things that we've done is made it really easy for our users to collaborate with each other, to share with each other, whether it's sharing their projects or sharing their ideas. Um, and that's been something that, you know, to date has been super important where we invest a lot in our community. Um, I still spend a lot of time, probably at least once a week, I'm on a call with at least one user, as well as um, responding to tickets on our support center, responding to um, our, our community forum. And that really is what allows us also to innovate is seeing kind of what are our customers looking for? What are the things that you know, the power thunkers want and what are they looking for and how can we make sure that we are, uh, we're supporting that. Yeah, definitely. I feel like getting that sort of feedback is super crucial. And I, and I'm, you know, just really impressed too, that you've built this thunkable community. And I think that is especially powerful now when so many of us are sort of like holed up in our houses, um, relying on technology, re relying on technology in sort of the virtual world. So having that sort of community that people can rely on during this time is also, you know, really important. Um, 
to sort of, you know, a couple of questions to sort of wrap up the thunkable part and sort of move on to the music part. Um, are there any exciting next steps uh, for thunkable that you can sort of tell the listeners about and anything in the future of the no code, low code movement that you're also excited about? Yeah, so thunkable, we, we have a lot of exciting stuff coming up. Uh, the end of 2020 was exciting for us where we pushed out a whole slew of things. Uh, and 2021 is looking to be our biggest year yet in terms of what we're releasing and what we're excited about. I think there's a, a special focus right now on design that we're working on, on how do you import from your favorite tools uh, like Figma? How do you, uh, how do you make it really easy to, to, to place things, you know, as easily as let's say a PowerPoint slide where you just drag something on and resize it and it just, it's right there and it looks exactly as you want. Um, how do we make it, you know, as easy as that? How do we make it even easier to build the logic? So there's a lot of, I think, just simplification that's happening in the tool and a lot of uh, design power that's coming to make your apps really, really beautiful. I think that's one thing we're super excited about. And then the other side that I'm really excited about for us is, is around collaboration and how do, you, uh, how do you interact with people better? How do you share projects better and collaborate on projects better? I think that's you know a bunch of the stuff that we're working on uh, this year and, and I'm excited uh, to see. So definitely, you know, go to thunkable.com, check out the things that we're releasing. We, we keep our release notes up to date. And so everyone can, uh, can, can, can check it out, but it, it's super exciting. In terms of the no code movement, I think the no code movement, it's, it's, it's just kind of blossoming. It's, it's early days and it's really taking off. I think the, the statistics right now, if I remember correctly, uh, don't quote me on this, but I think it's that a one in a thousand people today can or will learn how to build uh, a mobile app to, to actually build software, to write, write, write the code necessary. Um, and by 2024, I think 65% of all app development is predicted to be done via low code and no code tools. And so it's going from a very small percentage of people who can do it to the majority of development will actually be done not using those fully coding tools, but using low code and no code technology. And so what's really exciting for me is just the boundaries that are being pushed. And I'm very, you know, we're, we feel very lucky to be part of that early community that's pushing that boundaries where before when, when you were building with no code apps, it was very simple things, things like landing pages, things like, hey, I have a restaurant, upload my location and menu and uh, hours and, and, and I'll have a website or maybe I'll have an app. And now it's, hey, you need a fully functioning app that allows people to interact. Your whole business needs to be built on software. And all of a sudden, no code tools are coming in with that power. If you look at Thunkable, we work offline. We have access to all of your hardware so you can plug into your Bluetooth and your accelerometer and your magnetometer. We can we can um, uh, we can work offline, store data now, and send it later. We can allow you to talk peer to peer, right, with from your phone to someone else's phone. All of a sudden, these apps that in the early days were so crazy to build. Think about something fairly complicated like Instagram or something, where it was so you know so complicated to build. With Thunkable, you can now just say, "Hey, I want to take a picture. Upload that picture to a database. Show that picture on an infinite scrolling." Uh, feed that other people can use. You can do that in 
10 minutes on Thunkable, right? The fact that a lot of the basic things that took years to build an Instagram, you can do in just, you know, 10 minutes on Thunkable and, and, and many other platforms is so exciting to me. And what, what I'm excited about is where people now think about no code and software, like what I would say Excel did, where for a long time there was databases and then Excel came about and they said, hey, you don't need to be a crazy SQL database coder to, to actually um, deal with the database. Most of your data just can be stored in a spreadsheet and you can learn how to use that. And that became kind of a ubiquitous tool that, you know, 35 years after its first launch is still so widely used. And I think now in software, you're seeing that where you're saying, hey, you don't just have to be a coder to build a website, to build an app. If you have an idea, you can do, you know, probably 99% or 95% of ideas that are out there. You can just build in a no code tool like Thunkable. And that to me is so exciting where we're going from a world where most, you know, real software, most intense software is built by software engineers to the next two, three, four years where the majority of software development is going to be done via low-code and no-code technology. Right. Yeah, that's definitely an incredibly exciting prospect and future because I'm sure there are other, you know, listeners out there who are, you know, excited about that too. And I think one thing important to note too about uh, about Thunkable, you know, um, first, super cool. Like you said, you can create apps sort of like Instagram. Like I, I know you talked about in a previous in- interview, like you could make an app like Uber, something like that. So, you know, the complexity of the apps that you can build with no code on Thunkable is really exciting. Um, yeah, you know, I'll allow you to plug all of like Thunkable's website, uh, social media and stuff at the end. Um, but I want to move to... Uh, you know, talking about your music, passion, hobby, career as well. Um, Because like I mentioned in the beginning, like that is obviously a really big part of who you are. So yeah, I want to, you know, allow you to talk about your work at the San Francisco Civic Symphony. How did you get started with um, that particular symphony? And why did you choose uh, to, you know, be a conductor, a music director at that particular organization? Absolutely. I think um, something that, that I, I tell everyone at, at Thunkable is, you know, we're we're in this for the long haul. I'm, I'm excited to, you know, 20 years from now, tell you about the next exciting thing that's coming up in Thunkable and that we're working on. And, you know, 40 years from now, have built lifelong relationships with people that I've worked with from the early days. And so something that, that's important about that is that uh, I also tell people that they should be able to do things that relax and rejuvenate them and that they're, they, that allows them to use a different part of their brain. Because I think in the early days of a startup, you know, the first six months, the first, you know, round, the first set of time until you raise your first round of funding, things like that, you're, 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 you're probably just working 24 uh, seven. But if, 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 if eventually you burn out, that's not going to be good. And I've seen so many friends who have such promising companies, but they spend 24 seven on it for two years. They lose all of their friends, they burn out, et cetera. And then they wind down the company or they leave, not because it didn't have promise, but because the people weren't able to keep it up. And so something that, that's been important to me and, and important to our team is that, I mean, don't get me wrong, we work a lot. We, we work all the time. Um, but I, I tell everyone, make sure you have you know something else, some other passion that exercises a different skill, a different set of your brain, um, whether it's music or sports or, uh, or family or religion. It, it's something that, that you're really you know passionate about and invested in that that allows you to kind of unplug from, from the work sometimes, which, which, which is, I think, necessary. So for me, um, that, that's always been music. 
I think with the San Francisco Civic Symphony, I had a, a good friend, uh, a couple friends from MIT who actually played in the symphony. And they said, hey, you know, we need another viola player. I play the viola and, and you always need more viola players. Um, would you be interested in joining? And I said, hey, that that's a great, you know, great thing for me to do. Uh, I just finished working uh, very intensely on my master's and launching the first uh, version of the Quizlet Android app. And I was working, you know, crazy amount of hours. And I said, okay, now I need to, you know, take a step back playing music. And it wasn't crazy commitment. It was once a week. I was like an evening once a week. I can do that. So I started doing that and it was really fun. Um, and then kind of in, in a pinch, uh, the, you know, so, some, some, some changes happened and they needed uh, a music director to sub in just for one set. And it was very last minute. So they said, hey, where are we going to find somebody who actually has conducting experience, who knows the organization, and understands it, and is willing to commit the time to it? Uh, and basically uh, reached out to me and said, hey, we know you have some experience. Would you be interested in helping out a little bit? And so I said, sure, you know, it'd be my pleasure. I, I, I love conducting, very passionate about it. And it, it's one of these things where Unlike the viola, as, as I said, I play viola. I can I can pick up my viola and play in my room and and just you know love the music that I make. Uh, you can't do that with conducting. I can pick up a baton and I can pretend to conduct along to something on Spotify. But at the end of the day, um, you can't conduct without an orchestra. So when when someone offers you an orchestra, uh, if it, if it fits within the realm of what you're what you're what you're capable of, uh, it, it, it's it's a no brainer. And it was right around the time uh, that we were starting. Uh, thunkable actually that that they asked me to kind of sub in and help out uh, and so I was initially a little concerned but again the opportunity was was such a cool one and the organization is such a special one to me it's it's one of the longest running uh, community orchestras on the west coast it's been around for about 90 years now um, and until the pandemic had never missed a season during the world wars whatever it was still still on and so uh, I, you know to be able to be part of an organization uh, so uh historically important especially in the bay area that that to me was such a such a blessing and opportunity that that i jumped on it and then after the first that i did uh basically they came back and said hey you know people liked you and and and, and it seems like you like this do you want to keep going and so um they basically re-signed me for, for 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 future seasons and i've been very blessed to be able to continue uh to work and engage with this organization and uh, i think to the point of why this organization, I think there's a few reasons. One is because, as I mentioned, they are they are such a important organization in the history of uh, community music in the United States and especially in in California, where to have the opportunity to contribute to such a an organization with such a rich rich history and such involvement with the community, it's amazing. When we put on shows. Uh, the shows are advertised on local radio. People find flyers in the library and, and they come to it. It it has this beautiful community aspect to it. Uh, the members are members of the community. Some who are, you know, professionals who are doing this for fun. Some who haven't touched their instrument in a while and are just getting back into it. And to be able to engage with such a diverse set of skills, age ranges, backgrounds, um, it is so phenomenal. And the second thing is, I think, I was really lucky to find this organization that worked really well with the rest of my life, where there are certain organizations that would say, hey, come conduct, and it'd be a full-time job, and I wouldn't be able to do Thunkable, or some organizations that would take so much time that wouldn't allow me to commit, commit to, to my, my first love, if you will, of, uh, of Thunkable. And so to be able to have an organization that recognized that I did something else, and something else totally outside of the realm of music, 
And not only have them be okay with that, but actually be excited uh, and encouraging of that was so cool to me. And so that that's why I ended up with the with the organization. And years later, it's still just a group of amazing people who are so passionate about the music and the art and about bringing it to a wider audience. Um, and the last reason I'll say is because they have allowed me to do such cool things, um, which other organizations might not be as excited about. So I'll give you an example. Uh, last uh, summer before the pandemic, so summer of 2019, um, we had this crazy idea of what if we brought a bunch of rappers from Oakland and had them rap with our symphony? And so I also I also uh, beatbox and rap uh, in, in a... Um, uh, a fusion kind of flamencan Moroccan jazz type of group where I beatbox rap and play the Indian drums. Don't ask how this all works, but it's pretty cool. Um, and so I'm fairly plugged into the, to the hip hop scene in the Bay area. And so we said, what if we were able to combine that? So we took Peter and the Wolf, which is a, a piece by Prokofiev, very well known uh, to those in the classical music world. It's a, it's a, um, it's a narrated, uh, uh, a story over a symphony. So they call it a symphonic fairy tale where there is a symphony that's playing the music and then there's a narrator who narrates the story of Peter and the wolf. It's, you know, it's a, it's a fun kid story uh, along the lines of a, a, a Little Red Riding Wolf, or a riddle, Little Red Riding Hood or Boy Who Cried Wolf, that, that type of children's story. And so we said, what if we actually had the symphony play but we replaced all of the narration with rap and then had beatboxers and rappers come in and actually do the narration through rap. And some other classical organizations may or not may not be about this, but when I pitched this to the board, they were like, this is an amazing idea. Let's do it and let's see what happens. And we pulled off what I, you know, I, I think is one of the coolest things that I've ever seen any symphony do, where we had um, an amazing combination of cultures. And it was so cool where we had these kids from Oakland coming to the audience who were, you know, fans of these local rappers. And then simultaneously we had, you know, much older folks who had always gone to the symphony and had never heard of rapping or vocal percussion and didn't even know what it was. And all of a sudden, these two very different groups of people were in the same audience enjoying the same piece of music. And to be able to do something so creative like that takes a special organization and a and a special board that will actually support that. And and that is something that they've been really great about. And so that that's one of the 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 last reasons that I think I've been really excited to work with the organization over the years. Wow, that's so cool. Honestly, like that, like those kind of collaborations and like fusions are what make me so excited about music. And honestly, Arun, if you have like the link to that recording or anything, feel free to send it to me and I can put it in the episode description so listeners can, you know, watch it, listen to it. Um, yeah, so this is probably a question that a lot of the listeners out there may have for you, um, because as you sort of just outlined, you're heavily involved in the music community, but you also like dedicate so many hours to Thunkable and other endeavors. So how have you managed to stay focused on work and music, but also like maintain your mental and emotional health at the same time and not burn out? This is something that that's super important and, and close to me. I've seen a lot of uh, friends and folks close to me burn out because uh, because it, it hasn't been right. And I certainly haven't gotten the formula perfect, but so far I think I, you know I'm still standing and feeling good. Um, like I said, for me, something that was really important, and, and I tell everyone on the team is is to have something else 
Uh, because if, if, if one thing is getting you down, the other thing will keep you happy and vice versa. Um, and for me, what I found has actually been really useful, which maybe or maybe isn't the you know standard advice, is actually to, 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 to step away from something that I do a lot and really intensely, which is, which is thunkable. For me, the, the way to kind of not get overwhelmed by it is to have something else actually really intense. And a lot of people, their solution to, hey, work is really intense, so I want to hang out and watch some Netflix and, and chill out a little bit. To me, that that doesn't actually work because it doesn't get my mind off of work. When I'm watching TV, I am still thinking about work and what features we're pushing out and what bugs were there and how do we fix whatever. When I am focusing on my symphony and being like, hey, bassoons, you need to come in. I'm not worried about, hey, that bug that happened to go out last week. I'm worried about whether or not the bassoons are going to come in, right? And so for me, having something else that's really intense that I that I really like, but that op, uh, exercises a different side of my brain. So it's not, you know, another tech thing. It's it's music. That to me really helps me step out of uh, of, of of the work and and vice versa. When I'm when I'm on Thunkable, I'm not worried about hey, are the French horns playing whatever? Right? How is that cello solo doing? I'm I am all in on what I'm doing and knowing that I'm going to step out of what I'm doing makes me more focused on what I'm doing in the moment. Um, I think what's also really cool is having uh, two very different things like the music and, 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 and Thunkable, but also um, having a lot of similarities in what they do. So being a CEO and being a conductor, very similar, right? At the end of the day, as conductor, I am making none of the notes. I am playing none of the music. I am, I am waving a baton. And I am interacting with, with the symphony, but none of the music that it, the audience hears comes from me. Similarly, at Thunkable, I am no longer writing the code. I am not head of design. I am not uh, head of user research. I am not in charge of product. We have an awesome team of people who lead all of those organizations. And so what you see out of Thunkable is something that I have enabled by, by, by working with the people and setting a vision, but not necessarily something that I've you know, specifically done by myself. And I think when you actually look at that, they're, they're very similar jobs. And so by, by, by doing the same job in very different contexts actually makes me also better at my job where I'm doing something as a CEO and then I get stuck on a problem. And then I say, okay, you know what? Let me take a little time. I go to the symphony conduct and I come up with the solution of how do I make, you know, these two people work well together or come up with music that's better than what each individually is doing. And I say, oh, that's cool. Let me translate that to what I'm doing at Thunkable. And that now makes for the, a better product or a better a relationship or product launch or whatever. And so by having these things that allow me to unplug from my work, but are constantly reinforcing uh, what's important in either of my jobs, I think it's able to keep me sane. And again, it's able to keep me so excited where I know when I leave Thunkable, I'm going to go make amazing music. And I know when I leave that amazing music, I'm going to come back and enable another Anwar to solve their problems. And so for me, what I'm doing in the moment, I'm able to stay focused on because I don't have infinite hours in the day. And I need to focus on this because I have to go do something else. And then it also is great to know that, hey, I'm about to go do something else that's also really exciting. And so I'm always looking forward to what's next. And I think, um, that that's been really important for me is to have something else that's really intense to take my mind off the thing that I'm doing right now. That's really intense. Great. Thank you so much, Arun. Um, that those are all the questions I have for the music side. Is there anything you like 
wanted to add to the thunkable part or like the first section when you're talking about your experiences or the music part that I didn't ask uh, before we move on to like the last portion where you just plug all your social media and stuff like that? No, I don't think I, I have anything more to add except for that, as, as you see, I think it is possible to do a bunch of things and people say, oh, do you not, you know, do you never sleep then? I, I still sleep, you know, normal amounts every night and stuff. I, I think uh, what's important is if you have passions and you're, and you, and you spend your time focusing on them, but you know, you don't give up really focus intensely. Um, there are cool opportunities that, that unfold and, and cool ways to make, uh, make it all work. And so it's one of those, when people say, oh, you have to do this or that, I think it's not necessarily that it's focus on this, get really good at it and figure it out. And then see if you have the ability to find something that works for you. If you told me 10 years ago that, oh, in addition to being CEO of this company that you're running, you know, very intensely, you also will have the opportunity to conduct a symphony professionally, but part-time that fits into your schedule with your work. I have told you you're crazy. Turns out these things all exist. Uh, if you look hard enough, you can find them. And if you can't find them, you can create them. And uh, with the way our world is connected today, there's probably somebody else who's also excited about what you are. Yeah, definitely. And I, I actually forgot to ask you, uh, this is like a really important part that I forgot about. Um, but is there like, is there any pieces, are there any pieces of advice that you would want to give to people um, out there who are listening, who are interested in creating their own company? And is there any advice you would also want to give people right now um, on how to stay optimistic? Because I feel like that is also a very difficult thing to do um, right now. It is. I, I think how to, how to advice on starting your own company, the, the biggest thing is doing it. And you hear this, but I, I think saying it again and again is so important. The biggest thing that I think made Thunkable work to date is the fact that I went and did it. Um, and I, I say this because I, I had so many, you know, potential false starts where I was like, should I do it? Should I not? Uh, you know, I had parents who were like, maybe you want to go and get an MBA. I, I had even applied and I got into an MBA program and I was going to go to Harvard and do my MBA. I paid my deposit. Like I was that close, right? And, and you often get to, oh, maybe you need to go get a PhD and finish that. I, I, I had done my master's. I was really excited about doing the PhD. Maybe it's that you need more experience doing business development or sales or marketing or something. At some point, um, you need to bite the bullet and go do it. And no matter how much experience you have, you will never be prepared for this. So the best thing you can do is actually try it out. And I think uh, talking about, you know, as we alluded to family early on, I think my sister especially was super encouraging of me. And every time I was like, should I do this? She was like, just bite the bullet of rune and go do it. Uh, and you won't regret it. And she she pushed me really over the edge. And then my co-founder, I have to give him shout outs too. When once I decided, okay, I'm going to do this. I was like, but I can't do it without someone by my side. So I called up Wayne and I said, hey, will you go do this with me? He was like, it's me and you? I said, yeah. He said, all right, I'm in Boston. You're in San Francisco. Give me a week to pack my bags and I'll be there. Um, and, and it was the it was the best best conversation I ever had to get someone to join the Dunkville team. That, that was it. And I think um, ha having those people surrounding you that, that encourage you are important, um, but actually just biting the bullet and going and doing it is important. You will have failures. You will have mistakes. And that's fine. The point is, if you go in eyes wide open, knowing that there will be trouble, you'll be able to see it when it happens and then course correct. And as long as you course correct, it's fine. It's amazing how supportive um, friends, employees, investors are when I say, hey, investor, we made this mistake. Sorry about that. 
but we'll be better next time. They're like, yeah, cool. Like that's why we gave you enough money to make sure that you had enough runway to make a few mistakes and still fix it. And so knowing that um, there are going to be mistakes and you won't have all the experience you needed, just go do it. And if you go do it, uh, you won't have regrets. At, at most, you'll, you know, things, things don't work out. And then you just had an amazing experience. Worst case scenario is some people gave you some money to work with your friends on something you're super excited about. Best case scenario is you go take over the world and, you know, create a, a, a giant lasting legacy. And so either which way you're winning and anything in between is also a win. And so, um, you know, the biggest, the biggest advice I can give is, is, is don't wait. And when you're, when, when you, when you're about 80% of the way there, when you're like, I think I have it, that that's a hundred percent of what you need. Go do it. Uh, in terms of staying optimistic, I think, I think the biggest thing is that if you look at, if you take a step back and look at the world, the world is in a better place than it's been in a long time uh, in many ways. Outside of, you know, where the pandemic is, which is obviously terrible, you take a bigger step and, you know, we are better at curing diseases than we've ever been. We are uh, more able to communicate with, you know, my, my, I have a lot of family who is, is in India and the fact that I can just video call them whenever for free now, like how crazy is that, right? There's so many cool things going on. And I think when, when I'm down, I go create. And, and I think creating is one of the best ways to stay optimistic. So actually saying, hey, you know what? I'm, 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 I'm not thrilled about everything right now. Let me go create something. Let me go build an app on Thunkable that solves something that, you know, an issue that I'm having or that my parents are having. Let me go write a, a new piece of music. Let me go create some art, whatever it may be, whatever it is that you can create. Go create because every time you go create, you come out of the end feeling satisfied. And most of what I'm creating, I'm not even sharing with others. It's not that I'm keeping it secret. It's just that I'm creating for me. But when you do that, um, you get a huge sense of fulfillment that I think you get. Uh, it's very hard to get otherwise. And that, that's why I love being an entrepreneur. That's why I love being a music director. Uh, but I think the best way to stay optimistic is by creating. Create something that brings joy, whether it's to yourself, to your family, or to the world. And when you do that, uh, you'll get to the end and certainly be satisfied because both the end product will be amazing as well as the journey. Thank you so much, Arun. Um, it was such a pleasure and an honor to talk to you today and get to know you better and hear about your story. And, um, you know, just like the way you talk about your different experiences, your music, your tech, your entrepreneurship career, like it just like we can just tell how excited and, you know, just like, yeah, just how excited and uh like inspirational you are. So I'm, I'm sure the listeners can uh, hear that in your voice too, as you're, you know, as you were sharing all of your stories um, in this episode. Last thing before you go, um, would you be able to share your social media? Um, you know, if people are interested in reaching out to you to ask any questions about what you talked about today in the episode, um, Thunkable's social media, Thunkable, uh, Thunkable's website, um, and you know where can they download the app, etc. You know, etc. Feel free to share everything. The best way to contact me is reach out. You know, online I'm easy to find on the internet, uh, LinkedIn. You can get me uh, Arun Seigel. You know, from Thunkable, it, it's pretty easy to find. Uh, otherwise, if you email uh, hello at thunkable.com, that comes to me and a bunch of folks on our team, and 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 that way we can we can respond uh, super quickly. Um, otherwise for Thunkable, uh, you find us on all the social media, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. We're just at Thunkable. 
Uh, and so it's easy, easy to find us. T H U N K A B L E. Uh, thunkable.com is the website. Uh, and also on, on Twitter, I, I'm pretty active there. So you can get me at AK Seigel. That's A K S A I G A L. Uh, feel free to, you know, follow me there, DM me there, et cetera. Um, that's, you know, the, the best place, uh, to reach us. And, and like I said, at Thunkable on, on all the social media, you'll be able to find us. Um, and, uh, and that's everything there in terms of the, the music association, it's sfcma.org, uh, which is the SF civic music association, which is our parent organization. Uh, and you can go there and find us uh, on there. And then all the recordings and things like that, of course, are on YouTube. Um, and of course, if, if there's still a way that you haven't been able to connect, just, just Google Arun Seigel and, and, uh, and it'll be pretty easy to find me and reach out to me through all of the different channels. Amazing. Thank you so much, Arun. I'll make sure to put the link to Thunkable's website, Thunkable's social media, etc. Um, in the episode description so the uh, listeners can easily access those. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the season two finale of Homecoming. We did it. I want to thank you all so much for your new or your continued support of Homecoming. 2021 has already been an extremely difficult year, um, both in terms of like current events and things that are happening in the world, but also in my personal life. So I know at times my season two episode releases have been inconsistent or at really strange times of the day or really late. Um, and I want to apologize for that, but also thank you guys so much for understanding as we progress through the season. Um, I actually think that after this finale releases, I'm going to take a short break from social media um, to step back process events, um, take better care of myself, um, and uh, yeah, just try to figure out how to be a full-time student and a, a, a human being and a person who does all of these other things. Um, but yeah, of course, I'll still be releasing some uh, off-season episodes leading up to season three, which I'm very excited about. Um, season three, I'm guessing, will start up sometime in the summer. Um, I haven't exactly pinpointed a start date, uh, depending, and like you know, it, it'll depend on my summer plans. But uh, once I know, I will definitely let you all know um, via social media. But yes, uh, keep on the lookout for that information. But just to do a quick recap of season two, I since I don't think I'll be doing a season two recap episode, um, yeah, we'll have put out 13 episodes with 17 guests and discuss topics from affirmative action to equitable COVID-19 vaccine rollout to gender equality to transracial adoption to diversity and pageantry and so many more topics. Um, definitely go check out all of the season two episodes if you haven't yet. Um, if any of those topics seemed really interesting to you. But yeah, one of my, you know, some of my main goals for season two were to um, up the quality of my episodes and also improve our look on social media and definitely check out at Homecoming Pod on Instagram and Facebook to see how I have improved since season one. Um, and you know, the one great thing 
I mean, there are many great things about putting this podcast together, but I think, you know, even when I'm feeling extremely overwhelmed with school, other extracurriculars, with life events, um, I always really love putting this podcast together because I am learning on my own terms. I'm meeting new people from all around the world. I'm having a lot of fun and I'm enjoying myself when I'm doing it. Um, I think that's really, really important for me. Um, And it also just means the world that you all are also listening to the content and learning with me and giving me feedback as we have progressed since May 2020 when Homecoming started. Um, But I am so, so excited for season three and for all of the seasons to come. uh, And I am actually planning on dedicating more time to working on Homecoming in coming seasons um, and coming years, um, you know, and trying to improve audio quality even more, uh, build a Homecoming community, work with local, uh, national, global organizations to maybe do workshops and events with the community. And also one of my goals is to hopefully do more um, in-depth, longer episode, multiple episode series that are more of like a journalistic vibe. Um, But yeah, it's great because I know Homecoming will be a long-term project for me and I have so many hopes and dreams for the future of this podcast. So thank you all so much for doing this with me. Um, But please remember to take care of yourselves. Uh, Like I said in the beginning, like 2021, 2020, it's just been a lot and a really overwhelming, difficult, emotionally taxing time. And so just like, you know, just listen to yourself and what you need and please like reach out, um, take care of yourselves. Like if you're able, like be there for others. Um, Yeah. Um, Thank you all so much for listening to the season two finale and the rest of the season, the the rest of the episodes of this season and last season. And I truly cannot wait to show you what we have coming up. Um, please take care and I will see you all in an off-season episode or two and then after that I'll see you in season three.